When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects that you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and I'm delighted to say joining me today is, as usual, our transfer guru, Dr Duncan Castles, but also the doyen of La Liga TV, Mr Graham Hunter, who's going to talk us through the uh, subjects surrounding El Clasico, which takes place this weekend, as well as a news story that Duncan has right now on the potential move of Neymar. Duncan, uh, what is the latest on the Brazil internationals' future? Well, look, it's something that's, I think, come as a shock to Paris Saint-Germain and, and something that, that you would say was unexpected because it's the, the signals from Neymar's camp for the best part of a year has been that he was happy at Paris Saint-Germain and he was going to sign a new contract there and he'd been trying to get Lionel Messi to come and join him and all was finally sweetness and light in Paris after that record move and after um, basically summer after summer of him trying to get out of Paris Saint-Germain and get back to Barcelona. Now, the information I have is that Neymar has called a halt to those um, negotiations with Paris Saint-Germain, um, is refusing to sign the new contract that's been offered to him, and is once again pushing for a move to Barcelona. Um, the proposal, I think, here is dependent on Messi staying at Barcelona and using the leverage of that friendship to try and convince Barcelona that the the right idea is to bring Neymar back as their stellar signing, as the headline signing of Laporta's new regime, rather than um, a player like Erling Haaland, who they had um, those sort of well-televised um, meetings, discussions with last week. Um, the, when I heard this, I, I, I assumed that Neymar was suggesting he run down his contract because he only has a year left at Paris Saint-Germain and moves on a, on a free transfer in a year's time. Apparently that's not the case. Um, he's not known for his patience, so he thinks it can be done and he thinks it can be done with a player going the other way. So um, Paris Saint-Germain would take a Barcelona high earning Barcelona player off their books that exchange would allow them a bit of um, FFP uh, trickery in terms of putting a value on Neymar's uh, transfer and a value on the outgoing players' transfer that, that made the books of both clubs look better, make a bit of space on the wage room for Neymar and um, get him back where he uh, only wanted to leave when uh, there was a, a big uh, offer on the table from PSG and that idea that he, he goes to France and becomes the best player in the world. Um, the player I'm hearing as the most likely outgoing for Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain is Antoine Griezmann. Um, 
under contract, I think, at, at Barcelona until 2024. Graham on the last podcast told us how he finally this season started to deliver at the kind of levels that Barcelona expected and had developed a good relationship with Messi on the pitch. But I think overall, not the most successful transfer. So you could see um, the logic in France International moving to Paris Saint-Germain. But look, this, this surprised me in the sense that the all the the noise was he was going to stay but then again if you look at his career if you look at the way he and his father have have managed um movements between clubs um in this expectation he seems to have that he can have the best of all worlds in all circumstances perhaps it's not such a surprise that Laporta comes in as president Messi looks more likely to stay than he has done for such uh, for a long, long period now. And Neymar thinks, okay, well, maybe there's an opportunity for me to, uh, to get back to Barcelona, get a good contract there and, uh, and, and shift the, you know, the football tectonics in my favour again. Graham, would this surprise you in terms of um, Neymar's return to Barcelona? No. That indeed is no. what's going to happen. No, it's a good storyline, well explained. The echoes that are going on over here... Um, in a news sense, are that Dembele is um, out of contract in 2022. The club want to renew him. He's keen on staying, but how to find the right remuneration for a guy who's had certainly his best season since he was at British Dortmund. It's, it's got to be verging on his best season ever, um, pound for pound. He looked, he looked a fine player. He looked, he was constantly fit at Wren. But given the pressure, given the company that he's playing in, given the impact that he's had in all competitions, pound for pound, this, this is at or around his best season. Um, so how they renew him is, is a matter of debate. They definitely want to keep him. But in terms of the swapping pawn for pawn idea that Duncan was proposing there, his name will come up. Secondly, um, nothing has declined at all for Griezmann in terms of his relationship with the players around him, and particularly with Messi, which was the the thorniest issue um, in in the distant past. What hasn't developed particularly well is Ronald Koeman's. How would I say it? Not not it, maybe appreciation is the right word. So Griezmann will now once again slightly more regularly miss out if it's 3-5-2 and De Jong plays it in the midfield rather than at the back. And therefore what's often happening is um, Barcelona have been playing what people have been calling a 3-5-2, but it starts at 3-4-3, and that accommodates Griezmann. When they go 3-5-2, which I think they will for this weekend's Classical, there's a distinct chance that as long as they remain fit, it's Messi and Dembele up front and Griezmann on the bench. Griezmann is a is a highly um, smart, um, very proactive guy. Um, he, I know, and this is a direct quote from him, his, his private entourage, not something he said in, in public. His view, and it's just as well, because he just said his third child um, this week, is that he's got money for life, for his kids' life and for his grandchildren's lives. 
therefore the things that he does both in his off-the-pitch ventures and how he spends his football career, according to his logic, needs to be now about enjoyment and achievement, satisfaction. So I know, as a matter of fact, that he's got his eyes peeled as to what the best option now is for him, whether it's to remain and, and try to convince Cumin, who, who wasn't certain of being renewed and now is, or pardon, not renewed, retained. He has one year left in his contract. There's also a, you know, an absolute, absolute obsession by Joan Laporta to bring uh, Erling Haaland. That, that doesn't need to be going into in massive depth today because whether Barcelona are viewed as favourites or non-runners, the fact is that it's immensely, immensely difficult for them to do the finances. But Joan Laporta is massively determined, obsessed almost, and resourceful. So the minimum you could say if you're Griezmann or Dembele would be, you just never know with this guy. And, and, and if Haaland is brought in, then the room for playing a start in place diminishes again. So there have been echoes in this part of the world about Neymar wanting to come back again, having decided that there's a gap for him. And his 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 camp are not particularly um, strategically smart, I would say. I mean, they they at, at, at Santos they followed their they followed the lure of relationship and and money by dumping a deal to Real Madrid, which was as far as Florentino Perez was concerned was was done and agreed. Went to Barcelona instead. Um, decided to to get out of the shadow of Leo Messi so that Neymar could be Ballon d'Or material, and therefore went to Paris Saint Germain. How did that work out? Not great so far. You never know whether. He ends the season um, with a Champions League medal, but nonetheless, it hasn't gone particularly well, I would say. And therefore, you used the word surprise a couple of times, Duncan, and I think that one of the surprising things would be that if Neymar's people have been so tactical, because this is a really good tactical move. Paris Saint-Germain are, are in the process of trying to um, underline their credibility in European terms by building around Neymar and Mbappe, both of whom now seem to run away. It's a very difficult situation for them. They need to maintain the credibility. That has to be done. They want to be a world power. You don't just get that by, by using money. You have to sign stars and retain stars and show other stars that your star properties are, are happy and successful. And I think it's pretty, I take it as crystal clear that Mbappe wants to go to Roma this summer. On balance, I think it might happen too. Um, so, Neymar leaving, I take Duncan's points about the way in which you can stack that up in favour of, of Paris Saint-Germain. There are ways to make it positive in terms of a player swap, in terms of FFP. That's all fine. Um, but there are other star properties. I imagine if a player swap is, is what happens, then Paris Saint-Germain need to be ultra, ultra careful about how they're perceived. Are they perceived by the most powerful agents as being easy taps to, to, to get the players out of. Will other players want to leave as well? It's a horrendous situation for Paris Saint-Germain's owners and Leonardo, in my view. But I think that, that, that what I understand is happening over here corresponds, dovetails perfectly with Duncan's um, terrific news line. 
And I, I, the one thing I'll say is I know where Antoine Griezmann has already got suitors um, who've been in touch with him over the last couple of weeks. I did not, um, I do not know um, whether Paris Saint-Germain have contacted him or him, his people have contacted Paris Saint-Germain. Now that's, that's something that I'm, you know, it isn't in, in my knowledge. So uh, him leaving is definitely feasible and part of a swap they're similar ages. He and Neymar. Um, you, you could imagine the, the poetic nature of Griezmann, who was rejected by Paris Saint-Germain when he was uh, a kid, doing the rounds from his home in Lyon. There are a number of clubs who turned him down because he was too slight, too frail. Um, his status uh, with the national team, his status in France, all of those things, I'd imagine, could make him a big-ticket item if, if the swap had to take place. He's a, he's a prodigiously good professional and he can be a, 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 an on-pitch leader and a brand leader too. So there, there, there's, there's no question, there's no doubt in my mind about the, the quality of the, the news line that Duncan's proposing, nor are there many doubts that there, there, there's a feasibility to what might un, unravel over the next eight, nine weeks. Now, Barcelona did this last summer with Juventus, put artificially high prices on Pjanic and Artur to to make their books look better. Something you flagged up um, to us ahead of time on the on the podcast. What, what Graham is your feeling on on Laporta's view of this importance he's placed on bringing a big name signing in, and whether Neymar would be satisfactory for him in his return as president? Um, I think that I can't overemphasize um, his obsession with Haaland. And what's more, he's right. However you view um, Raiola, however you view the understanding, which has definitely been leaked from Club Barcelona, that Haaland Sr. and Raiola both expect a commission of around 20 million euros to to make the deal happen. However, you read any of these things, if you stand back and look at Erling Haaland, never mind our, our, our dropped jaws with amazement about what he can achieve at that age, his scoring rate in elite company, but also the, the trajectory of improvements because you can see them beyond the goals. You can see his determination to become a better footballer. You can see his tactical nous um, changing, and everybody who's ever coached him, worked with him, talks about the, the the fact that he is lacking. Uh, I am the big I am already, and his determination to work on facets of his game, which aren't yet, which are which are at the level that a twenty-year-old Norwegian should be. <laughs> and therefore, what happens is, if you look at him objectively, you start to say, although he bears no relation to Messi and how he plays at all. They're like different planets, obviously. And although Cristiano Ronaldo wouldn't thank you for the comparison, there's, there's potentially the case that while Mbappe was was certainly by me viewed as the as the as the the Dauphin for, for the throne that Ronaldo and Messi have been fighting over for so many years. Haaland might be slightly aesthetically less pleasing and so on and so forth, but there's the, there's the one that you 
that you absolutely bet on. I think if you if you want to say do do can I what's the what's the what's the opportunity cost if we don't sign if we can't do that all this cost this dosh and he ends up at one in our division and one of our rivals you don't really want him with a, a big European rival and dominating um, the continental competition. But if he ends up in our league and he's with somebody else, what's the what does that cost us over six, seven, eight years? I think that's driving a lot of what Laporta is up to right now. So I, I use that in answer to your point about Neymar because right now there is no question that it will take somebody prizing Laporta's jaws off the concept of signing Haaland for anything else to be um, sufficiently attractive. Uh, Laporta, from a distance, when the Bartomeu board played their cards so ineptly um, and Neymar left for Paris Saint-Germain, Laporta was noticeably cold about Neymar's um, actions, decision-making, where he'd gone, and I'm not for a second saying that he would um, reject Neymar, and nor, as you wisely point out, would he reject any manner of making the books look better because he is frantically, you know, spinning plates on, on the top of garden canes about how to attract new credit, how to reschedule existing current short-term debt, which is about 700 million, He's desperately looking for new ways of um, earning money rather than the credit lines I talked about, borrowing money. And bookkeeping exercises where he, he buys himself and his financial VP time and space will become inevitable, will, will be irresistible to them. And therefore, that's why, you know, I, I buy not only the news line, but the, the the strategy, the logic behind it. It can it can work because I I don't want to be underpricing Laporta in terms of how much of an opponent he is to everybody else who wants to sign Holland. They they may stand, you know, in in sinking sands, but we'll come back on that as far as the race to, to sign Holland is concerned. But they they do have very attractive cards, and they, and Laporta is obsessed by getting him. If that if those things fall down, if he can be dissuaded, if he comes to the realization it's impossible, and and you're the intermediary, Duncan, offering him the the newsline you've just read out as a deal, then he bites your hand off. Well, apart from uh, signing uh, marquee players. Uh, something that would make the socios of Barcelona very happy would be winning La Liga title uh, this season and Laporta obviously would be happy to take credit for that. On Saturday evening, uh, Real Madrid entertained Football Club de Barcelona in the final Clásico of the season in La Liga. Uh, Atletico Madrid maintain a slender lead at the top of the table. However, Barcelona just two points ahead of Madrid. Uh, Graham, you're going to be in the chair, I'm sure, for La Liga TV at, uh, on Saturday evening. Um, this seems to me to be one of the most sort of crucial classical ties of recent years, given that the positions of both clubs and the fact they're both chasing Atleti. Yeah, by your argument, and, and the stakes went up because 
no matter what Atleti do in Seville against Betis this weekend, having lost in Seville against the red and white half last weekend, Luis Suarez's uh, muscle injury, um, he and Condobia um, and Marcus Llorente were all suspended for the trip to Betis, allowing the idea that uh, Manuel Pellegrini's side might conjure up a win and, and throw the whole title race completely into disarray. That aside, Suarez's muscle injury that he picked up in training uh, two days ago suggests that he'll be out for three weeks. And they've they've heavily relied on him, genuinely very heavily. They've under underused him in terms of um, Tolo Simeone's ability to get the team high up the pitch and supporting their, their, their talismanic striker, as Suarez has become already. So... Both Barca and Madrid, in terms of the build-up to this game on Saturday night, will be looking not simply at what's immediately in front of them now, but they'll be calculating that Atleti might lose more points over the coming three weeks. Might. And therefore, yeah, it's not quite winner-takes-all, but it's pretty damn close to it. And it'll be the first time Barcelona have played Madrid without crowd. Certainly in modern, I don't know, it might have been the case that back in the 10s or 20s of the 20th century, there may have been a close door game. I'm not aware of one. It'll be played at the afternoon of Stefano training ground. We, we can't ignore um, as much as I certainly think that Messi will renew his contract and stay. Um, each of us, for example, just to be parochial, um, was working in this industry when Morris Johnson was paraded on the pitch with a Celtic strip at Parkhead and they played the next few seasons for Rangers. Um, close that deal is the is the haunting refrain for every sales executive. Um, no deal's done until the ink is dry and therefore you can use the phrase this might be Leo Messi's last classical. It might be. Um, he's gone... A handful of years since scoring in a winning classical. Um, I think about six or seven of the 14 classicals that he's lost have come in the last 17 matches when he's only scored five times. You know, by comparison, Karim Benzema scored five times in the last 19 classicals, putting him, you know, ETPT very close to Messi's numbers. There's been a change in Messi's relationship with the classical. He's the dominant figure in it. He's got a... Um, He's still got a winning ratio in it. He's the leading scorer in the classical. And you'd still say over the length of time at Football Club Barcelona, 16 years, since he debuted in a 3-0 win at, um, at Madrid when Ronaldinho scored twice and, and left Ramos in his wake. You, you could say Leo Messi has, has tormented Madrid. But you would equally have to say that it, of late, Madrid's players, Madrid's coaches, some of Madrid's systems have found it easier to cope with Leo Messi. Again, it's about 2018 since he gave a goal assist. Barcelona have won against Madrid in the subsequent years without Messi scoring or assisting. But it's it's an anomaly. It's strange. And, and therefore, we go into this having to note that if something went wrong, if, if Messi was ultra-seduced by a, a, a relaunching of Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City's interest... If, if Laporta couldn't find the money to do big signings and renew Messi, if, if Laporta found money but Messi just said, well, that's not enough, whatever. There, there are many a slip between cup and lip. 
But I think Messi will stay. He's vastly happier. And, and that was a, money aside, that was a crucial element. He's got a decent, really surprisingly strong uh, relationship with Koeman, the coach. He adores Pedri. He's enjoying playing with Dembele and De Jong. It, it's a different Messi, completely different from last August. Never on balance, I think he stays. It isn't well, done, and he goes into this game with it hanging over him too mentally, Ian, that this might be his last Vasco. And therefore, the summary, I think, is I, I'm, I'm going to be surprised if, if we don't see, win, lose, or draw, a Leo Messi imprint in this match. Graham, on, on your last appearance on the podcast as you uh, as you warmed up for the US Masters, um, you explained to us how Barcelona had turned themselves into a winning team again. Can you do a similar one for, for Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid and how they've turned their season around for us? Yeah. There's the, the, there, are three, there are three simple elements. Um, and it's not been a rejigging as has been the case with football Barcelona. Um, Benzema is having one of the seasons of his life because um, albeit now he scored over 80 goals in 150 games since Cristiano left. And that that in itself is an assuming responsibility. That in itself is a, is a slight alteration by him from being the the number 10, the, 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 the domestic the team leader and becoming a nine again, even though, you know, in terms of position, he plays wherever he thinks is best and he'll, he'll assist as, as happily as he will score. His form this season has been just a joy to watch. You know, at 33, to be this live, to, to be this athletic, to, to be tireless, to never look as if um, he's uh, a bit physically jaded. It patently helps him, as controversial as it is, his 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 semi-formal exclusion from the France team. It helps him that he can rest during international breaks. But he's been just. It isn't just giving me the ball; it's giving me the responsibility. It's been absolutely wonderful to watch. It, when you when you commentate on him, when you tune in to watch him, I guess when you play with him, it's just guaranteed entertainment because win, lose, or draw, the, the, the football intelligence, the creativity that you see from him, topped off by something that you normally only see in outright, absolute, selfish penalty box strikers, which Benzema isn't. And that is that if he has a, if he has a clear chance or two or three in a game and they're saved or he fluffs them, it, it makes absolutely no imprint on him whatsoever. He's never put off. He never he never lowers his self-belief or the next one's going in, not by an iota. And that itself is just a treat to watch. Second element is the is the midfield. Um, the, the Real Madrid are, are athletically less energetic. They're, they're, they're less. They, they look a little bit careworn um, this season compared to last um, the fitness coach Gregory Dupont had an exceptional season last season. He'd, he'd only just joined. He changed the physical um, profile, athletic profile would be a better way to say it, sorry. They pressed differently. They won the ball high up the pitch. They were relentless. Their, their transition play is, wasn't Premier League level, but 
but perhaps it's more precise and that they still are one of the best transition teams um, going in Europe. And and this season, they're winning the ball less high up the pitch there. They're pressing much differently. They're being patently sensible about the fact that you know this, the preseason was so short. They've got a relatively ageing team. They, like everybody else, are suffering the, the, the lack of rest, the, the compacted season, the, the group Champions League week after week has never been played like that before. And the impacts have been big on a midfield that's got you know, look at Modric at 35, Cruz seeking his 31st birthday. Okay, Casemiro's only 29, but overall, if you throw in Ramos and, and Carvajal and Nacho and Benson, there's a lot of 30-somethings in there. And therefore... What they've done is is slightly readjust the pitch positions for the Modric, uh, Casemiro, Cruz midfield. They've had to do without Valverde, which is a real blow. And those three have been, again, just world class. That's part of what's happened, Duncan. When when Modric or Cruz or Casemiro were floundering a little bit in in autumn, every now and again, and and just looked a little bit tired and looked a little bit reaching for second or third gear and not finding it there was never a lack of uh, will but um, there was uh, there was a hey what's going on with us and they sorted it out they found the form and it, there's been brinksmanship Harry Houdini would be smiling down from heaven at Real Madrid because both domestically and in Europe they brought themselves to the precipice and largely those three have said no no we're not going over it and the third element I said there's three Kutra's having a very, very good season indeed. Really focused, um, really reliable. And as Sergio, Ram- Sergio Ramos's influence as the leader of the gang, which he is, hasn't diminished, but his presence has diminished. He's been absent from the training ground and the team a lot this season. Courtois, who initially came in, I was happy to do his thing and not be a team leader, group leader, and who, was, who found suspicion from Sergio Ramos because Ramos was such a Kaler fan. They've sorted that out. They did after about a season, and Courtois has become somebody much more vocal, much more of a leader, and therefore he has naturally assumed more responsibility for attitudes, results, assessment of performances afterwards. That's been a positive for him because he's he he has no competition behind him. Lunin is no competition. He's normally a player who, if he has no competition, can smoke a cigar and be a little bit satisfied with himself. This season, he hasn't done that, even though there's no chance of his not even being rotated in the cup, hardly. And therefore, um, those are the three elements. There's been little that you could dust the, the story with other bits of hundreds and thousands. Keeper, midfield, Benzema. That's your answer. As usual, Graham telling us things we didn't know. Uh, although I must admit, I didn't see Harry Houdini as a Real Madrid supporter coming out of left field or even left of left field. Uh, Graham, before uh, you go, because I know that you have a busy day ahead of you, um, you know Mikel Arteta uh, pretty well. You've had dealings with him in the past. Can you give us some insight as to what is going on in terms of why it's not working for him at Arsenal with regards to results? Uh, and also, there seems to be a series of player disputes and fallings out, etc. Um, and he's struggling a bit. The thing that annoys me most is that many of those, whether it be fans or those who populate social media, some in the media, they don't do 
what um, Churchill warned against in 1948, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat its failures. There's, there's a lot of shit being spoken about. Um, you know, you, you blink and Arteta's had a change of title and therefore it's his team. Is it f- You know, there, there, there are strains of um, immaturity, misbehaviour, cliques, things that will, I'm sad to say, take more time, more money and, and potentially better transfer controllers um, to sort out that, are, that Arteta is having to deal with at the moment. He's somebody who, in my opinion, I, I have no trouble if people say, I, I I don't believe in him as a coach. I don't like what I'm seeing in front of my eyes and blah, blah, blah. That's fine. My opinion is contrary to that. He he is still, as head coach, as, as manager, he's still... Yeah, you can use the word inexperienced. He's got good experience from having been part of the team at Manchester City. He also, in my opinion, is is contrary to this uh, picture that's been built up of him, somebody who's much stronger. I think he is one of, easily one of, the most strategically and tactically astute coaches, irrespective of age, anywhere in Europe, in my opinion. I also think, and some players that work for him see it this way exactly, that he's extraordinary in how he can communicate this to players, both pre-matches and in play. Does that mean that his man management skills are perfect? I don't think so. I think that the whole concept of learning about how to handle individuals, how to handle stroppy individuals, how to handle um, immature individuals, how to handle those who are mega wealthy and don't really think they don't need you. Those are tasks that every manager, if you ask Ferguson about those issues, he would tell you that, that dealing with people, apart from the ultimate of saying, right, you're out of the club, dealing with people who think that they're rich enough not to need you, dealing with ego, dealing with uh, people who have entourages that are telling them talking mints in the rear. That's something that Arteta has to find um, his his rhythm at. And I think that that will, will take more time. The exigencies of Arsenal wanting to be higher up the table than um, stuttering Spurs, the exigencies of Arsenal needing to be guaranteed European competition, to go far in European competition and to be in the Champions League as soon as possible as a matter of ultra-urgency. All these things will cost him, and frankly, as a as a, I'm not I'm not tied to Arteta, and I'm not an Arsenal fan. So, if Arsenal screw it up and and are infantile enough to to get rid of Arteta, it, it'll be about six to eight months after that we're saying, well, what job Arteta's doing at whichever club he takes on next? He's exceptional. I think he's absolutely exceptional. He's on um, an apprentice route at the moment because he has not had the time yet to 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 fully develop, nor lads to assimilate. Just like the players, you know, because we work at this flur- um, not flurry, this this non-stop Olympic pace, and we learn, assimilate, assess, move on. It's different for players and managers. This concertina effect. 
where has Arteta had time to reflect or think or learn or develop? When you're in the gym, they say, do your work, you, you push the muscles, and the muscles need downtime, two, three days, to change their shape and to, and to, to grow. Where, as any manager that's new at the moment, never mind Arteta, they are, all of them are clinging on by their fingertips, all of them, to this massive entertainment industry that, that we benefit from and that fans still love. You know, the, the Arteta experiment at the moment has come at a time when massive amounts of things are, are still against him. I'm not going to say it's a miracle that Arsenal are where they are. They're imperfect. They blow hot and cold. It's clear that some of the players still need to be moved out. I have no question that, one, there's a quality deficit. Two, some of the new signings haven't yet bedded in properly for whatever reason. And three, uh, in terms of comparative quality, they're they're not there yet. They just aren't. And he's still at an apprentice stage. So... I'm unsurprised about what they look like or where they are, but I have complete faith that they have the right man. And if they can't see it, then bollocks. Graham, that's a great point about concertina's season. I think I think Tottenham this week play a Premier League game for the first time this season where they've had an entire week to prepare for it, which is quite remarkable, but not not that uncommon and, and something that clearly is a disadvantage for Arteta. I was speaking to a recruitment specialist this week and asking him about Arsenal. He said, look, they've got good players, but they don't have players who are well matched to each other. The puzzle doesn't yeah. work together. So my yeah, question, my, description. My, yeah. que- my question to you is how happy is Arteta over the degree of influence he has on the recruitment at Arsenal? I think that's evolving, um, Duncan. My my answer would be that that is evolving because you know there's been almost constant change since he got there and there's a lot of feeling, uh, feeling out going on about what importance does cost cuttings is a very dramatic phrase in my opinion his take on it is that he's as yet unsure about how much those above him value getting quality at an acceptable cost compared to um, tightening the budget, tightening expenditure, and 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 save and at this stage saving costs. I think that's an in, that's a debate that's going on or emerging. It's not clear cut, I don't think, for Arteta looking upwards. And I think that it's it, it's it's an area in which he's going to have to be astute because the way in which you explained the the situation. FFP and Paris Saint-Germain and Neymar and Laporta and his books. Um, it needs to be contrasted with Arsenal in that clearly if Arteta sees a footballer in his squad who's a high-cost item and he thinks, I don't trust you, I can do without you, or I'm, I'm guaranteed there's a better player in the academy, then he can become a player in what's happening at the club by saying, that guy, you can move on, you can save costs, we can, you can get a big fee and we can reduce the wage bill. And then I want in return X, Y and Z. So to, he's, 
I think he is yet to become a player in that in that um, debate that's going on. And I, and I, I suppose you've led me to the water. And as a good horse, I'll drink. I'm not certain that that Arsenal have got their priorities right yet. I think that some of their thinking is a bit woolly, and other parts of their thinking isn't about excellence at all costs. I, I think that they are in a moment where they've they've stripped they've pared down a lot of people in who I, I think aren't necessarily um, proven elite at football recruitment and I'm not certain that all of them have that as their number one priority I think that there's it's a it's a, uh, a time of financial peering down and they're entitled to do that but what they're not entitled to do in my view is blindfold themselves to the to the domino effect that that will have so there's no way you can say that Arteta is an unfortunate or invidious position because he's a highly talented, young, fit uh, manager who's, who's easily come through COVID without any any problems. He, he didn't have the fright that Pochettino explained to me that he'd had. Um, he's got a, a squad that has talent in it. And I think that within the club, his credit is not run out yet. But I do think this situation is, is difficult. I think that the people, the, the type of recruitment that you're talking about, I, I thoroughly agree. It, it still needs to happen. It's still the, the site needs to be dovetailed, molded, not just in playing personnel, but in attitude and behavior. There are, there are kinks to be erased that, in my view, still are a hangover effect from the worst days of the Wenger regime, which should have been ended sooner, was doing damage, was doing corrosive damage, didn't get ended soon enough, um, abided throughout Emery, and, and is still uh, have still not been expunged yet. On which point, um, I have to say to you, it's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you for the invite. Enjoy the classical. Indeed, and if you haven't yet listened to Graham's brilliant cachet of interviews on this big interview series, please find the links at GH Podcast. And if you haven't seen him on La Liga TV, what better time than Saturday evening when he'll be commentating on El Clasico. Thank you very much, Graham Hunter, for joining us on the Transfer Window podcast. Uh, always uh, enjoyable to have you and get your insight and analysis. Pleasure, lads. Enjoy the Clasico. Cheers, Cheers my, my next podcast started two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. We'll be looking out for it. And uh, good luck in the Masters when you finally qualify. <laughs> this has been the Transfer Window Podcast. Uh, please, if you've enjoyed it, uh, go on to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. Uh, you can also find us on social media platforms at Transfer Podcast, on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook uh, you can get us on the YouTube channel as well if you want to listen that way uh, we will be back next week until then uh, do enjoy our classicals Graham has informed you but stay safe be well and thanks for listening hey.